All right, you may be seated. Good morning. Great to have all of you here worshiping with us today. And for any visitors out there, my name is Brent Fugate. I'm the senior pastor here at Byfield Parish Church. And this summer, we're in the midst of a sermon series focusing on Jesus Christ. And this is going to be a little bit of a, a weird intro, but just stick with me. In 1994, a movie was released titled Camp Nowhere. Does anybody remember Camp Nowhere? Any, okay, Lizzie Woolley remembers Camp Nowhere. You millennials and Gen Xers uh, might. And the premise of this movie was that there was a group of middle school kids who did not want to go to the boring summer camps that their parents wanted to send them to. So they hatched a plan. They were going to use their parents' money to hire an out-of-work drama teacher, played by Christopher Lloyd from Back to the Future, to act like he was a camp director. The kids would use the remainder of the money to create the best camp imaginable. For dinner, they would have ice cream. They would sleep in as late as they wanted, and camp activities would not include any silly safety rules. Needless to say, all manner of hijinks and hilarity ensued. Now, I was reminded of this movie a couple of weeks ago by a news headline that grabbed my attention. Some of you may already know where I'm going with this. The headline stated, New Hampshire Summer Camp sends children home after six unruly days. Apparently, Camp Quinbarge is an outdoor adventure camp. Parents had paid $4,600 for two weeks of hiking, horseback riding, and canoeing. Unfortunately, the camp was unable to hire the staff it needed. The results were not pretty. There was a lack of food and counselors, but plenty of boredom. You have to trust us. You have to, one camper wrote in a letter home. We are not joking, and we are not having fun. So many things are wrong with this place. Many people might think they would like to live in a world with no authority. A world like Camp Nowhere, where a person can do whatever they want, whether that be eating ice cream for dinner in, or sleeping in late. In practice, Camp Nowhere isn't so great. It actually devolves into Camp Quinbar. We live in a world that is basically a huge version of Camp Quinbarge. We need an authority to protect us from our own worst impulses. Someone to keep the world from descending into anarchy where the strong take advantage of the weak. A world where righteousness is absent. God recognizes this need. He sent Jesus into the world to be the ultimate authority, the king of the world. 
Please turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 34. We're going to begin reading in verse 14 and read through verse 18. Those verses will not be projected on the screen behind me this week, but they can be found on page 621 of your pew Bible. That's Jeremiah chapter 34, beginning in verse 14 and going through verse 18. 33, thank you. Man, I'm struggling this summer, guys. 33. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burn offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Many Westerners, especially those living in democracies, may not think a king is necessary. The more chaotic the world becomes, the more it is clear that an ultimate authority is needed. This authority must be good. We need someone to restore order in the world. The worse things are going at a particular time, the more obvious the need of an ultimate king is. At the time these verses were written, things were not going great. I can relate to the desire Jeremiah felt for a king. I don't know about you, but I have a lot more desire for an absolute authority than I did a decade ago. God knows we need a king. That is why he provided one for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises God has made throughout the Old Testament. And God made a lot of promises. Through Jeremiah and the verses we just read, God is referring to one particular promise. God had said he would send a righteous king. He initially made this promise to David in 2 Samuel 7, saying, the Lord declares to you, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
This promise gets reiterated earlier in Jeremiah in chapter 23, verse 5, in Isaiah and elsewhere throughout the Old Testament. But God's promised king had not come when Jeremiah was writing. There had been a lot of kings in Judah and Israel since David reigned. Some were pretty good, most were bad, a few were terrible. At the time of this prophecy, the people hearing it would have had a few concerns whether or not God is going to follow through on this long-awaited king that was promised. The nation that this king is supposed to rule is on the verge of non-existence. Jeremiah writes this in Jerusalem, which is surrounded by Babylonian armies. The people of Jerusalem have no hope. In the following chapter, Jeremiah tells the current king of Judah, who is David's heir, that he will be taken captive by the king of Babylon and die in a foreign land. Nothing that is happening gives anyone much confidence that God is going to fulfill his purpose. In the midst of all this, Jeremiah is still saying that God has not forgotten. He will do what he said he would do. Sitting here reading this text from Jeremiah today, we have the advantage of knowing how God fulfilled the promises he had made regarding a righteous king in the line of David. About 600 years after these verses were written, Jesus shows up on the scene. The Gospels of Matthew and Luke both highlight Jesus' lineage. He is a descendant of David. Even as the kings of Judah lived in Babylon, God maintained their bloodline so that Jesus could be their heir. They were not destroyed. As the world lurched from one empire to the next, God's promise continued to move forward unobserved. Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 are two of the most quoted Old Testament passages in the New Testament. Both passages talk about the king God is going to place in authority. The reason they are so frequently quoted in the New Testament is that the authors of those books are pointing out that Jesus is the king God promised. It is a source of amazement for us to see how God brought about his promised king in Jesus. This is definitely one of those situations that would not fulfill his promise. We get to look back on what was happening throughout Jeremiah's lifetime and think about those events as a historical blip. We know God's plan for a king was not derailed by those events. They were just twists in the road that eventually led to Jesus. While we rejoice in knowing more about how God's promises played out, 
than the people Jeremiah is speaking to did, or even more than Jeremiah himself did, we can also relate to their experience. We may not have actual armies surrounding our homes in the way the people of Jeremiah did, but we nonetheless feel as if we are under siege. The culture is attacking Christianity on multiple fronts. The past couple of weeks, I have been watching more live network TV than I normally would. This is because the Olympics was happening. In the evenings, I would turn on NBC's coverage of gymnastics, track, volleyball, and whatever other random sport they happen to be showing. And while I enjoy the sports themselves, enjoy cheering for America, I do not enjoy other aspects of watching. Every time a commercial break happens, I know that I'm going to have agendas shoved down my throat by companies whose products I continue to buy. The commercials often make me think that I should, I should boycott that particular product. Then I remember if I boycotted every company whose ads I disagree with, I would literally have to totally withdraw from the world, move to a cabin in the woods. I'm not saying that is a good excuse for my inaction. If TV were the only problem, I could just turn it off, maybe watch the Andy Griffith show on Netflix or something. TV is just one front on which the assault is progressing can feel the noose pulling tighter and tighter. Neither fight nor flight are options that seem likely to succeed. The enemies of Christianity are numerous and well-resourced. Fighting may slow the advance, but it hasn't stopped it. It feels like a question not of whether victory can be achieved, but whether defeat can be delayed. Flight isn't a more successful strategy. No area is safe and secure. I might have mentioned this before, but one of the funny things for me about being from Tennessee is I'll typically, or I'll sometimes run into people, sometimes they're Christians, sometimes they're just different cultural people in New England, and they'll say, I'm going to go to Tennessee. That's where I'm from. I'm going to go to the South. It's, it's safe there. It's more what I want it to be there. And that may be true on some level. But it's not a fundamentally different place than here. No area is safe and secure. The forces of this world will not stop at anything short of complete domination. The truth is, we are equally as reliant on God's promised king as Jeremiah and his contemporaries were. The first part of God's promise from Jeremiah 33:15 has happened. God has caused 
a righteous branch to spring up for David. That branch is none other than Jesus. We know this. We have confidence in this. Jesus reigns over all creation. He is Lord. He is the sovereign king. Our experience of Jesus' reign is incomplete. The second part of verse 15, which says that Jesus shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. That's what we're still waiting on. There's a lot of disagreement about what justice even is. The Bible actually has a lot to say on the matter, but its definition of justice is mostly ignored. If justice seems impossible in our world, righteousness is whatever is beyond impossible. At least justice is somewhat in demand even if it is sought in a partial way at best, righteousness is not even something that's being asked for. It's an unpopular concept. Today's scripture points forward to a time when King Jesus will execute justice and righteousness. It's harder to think of a stronger verb than execute. There is no wiggle room in the word. When the verb execute is used this way, it means whatever we are referring to will happen. In the military, an inferior officer executes an order from a commanding officer. There is no question the order will be done. The Hebrew word translated as execute is yasha. It is often translated as to do or to make. The king looked forward to in these verses will bring about justice and righteousness in the land. Jesus is executing what God has promised by doing it. He is making justice in the same way people make a robe or a dinner. King Jesus will act. Like Jeremiah and his contemporaries, we just don't know when or how. The justice and righteousness promised may not happen on our preferred timetable. They certainly won't, actually. I don't know about you, but I wanted the world to be different yesterday. The church has been grafted into the promises God made to Israel. I want the church to be saved. I want for it to dwell securely, because I, I want to dwell securely. God's timing isn't determined by what we think is best. He will accomplish his purposes in his good time. God's plan for his righteous and just king to come into the world was not disrupted by the armies of Babylon that surrounded Jerusalem. 
All Jeremiah's surroundings implied that God had let loose of the wheel. In fact, God was working to bring about his plan in ways that were not obvious to anyone. We have to have faith in Jesus' reign the same way Jeremiah did in God's reign. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. We hope for King Jesus to bring about justice and righteousness. Christian hope is not a desire some possibility will occur. It's not placing our bets on a probability. Christian hope is the living acknowledgement of a preordained conclusion. We have faith that Jesus will do what God has said he will do. God has given Jesus the authority as king. He has given Jesus the capacity to exercise that authority. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. It is not possible. It is not possible to live a Christian life based on what you can see in this world. When you observe the world, the reign that Jesus is bringing about is not obvious. Instead, you see a world where the greedy and those that are most gifted at telling lies are the ones that get ahead. Basing your life on what you see in the world will result in a life that looks no different from the world. You will live a lie. Christianity is based on the conviction that things not seen are true. Yes, Jesus lived, died, and was raised again. We must believe that even though we cannot witness it firsthand. We also must live our lives with the conviction that Jesus as king will bring about justice and righteousness. For many, this is harder to believe than believing Jesus rose from the dead. A life lived with faith in God's promises will look different. During Jeremiah's life, his faith made him stick out like a sore thumb. The people that he came into contact with wanted him to behave as they did. They wanted him to fight the Babylonians, but he wouldn't. They wanted him to take flight with them to Egypt, but he wouldn't go. Jeremiah refused to do either. He stood his ground, trusting in God's faithfulness to his promises. Christians today that trust in King Jesus' faithful completion of all that God has promised will stick out as well. Our lives will not be lived in a state of fear caused by the forces that seem intent on the destruction of God's kingdom. We will have confidence 
even as we exist in a world that seems intent on our destruction. Back in the introduction to today's sermon, I quoted from a letter one of the campers at Camp Quinbarge had sent to their parents. He wrote, you have to trust us. You have to. We are not joking and we are not having fun. So many things are wrong with this place. His assessment of the camp and his experience there is very similar to what many Christians would say to God about this world we live in. We are not joking. We are not having fun. So many things are wrong with this place. Justice and righteousness seem increasingly rare. Enemies surround us. The world feels very hopeless. It is not. Jesus reigns as king today just as surely as God reigned when Jeremiah prophesied in Jerusalem. I don't know why Jesus tarries. From my perspective, now would be a pretty good time to restore justice and righteousness. Some hope tomorrow will be different. I'm sure the people of Jerusalem felt the same way in the midst of their siege. Our lives should be filled with the faithful expectation, not of some change to the earthly status quo, but of the full realization of Jesus' reign as king. No other ruler can bring about justice and righteousness. Any hope and human efforts will end the same way the siege of Jerusalem ended in Jeremiah's day with the Babylonians victorious. Our confidence is that God's promises were not broken then. They are not broken now. Jesus reigned. We must have faith in that we cannot see, a conviction that our hope will bear fruit. The time of King Jesus bringing about justice and righteousness will happen. We are called to be faithful knowing that the reign of Jesus will not fail. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as I, as I talk to people in this congregation, as I engage with the world and myself, myself, I sense that we feel under assault in so many ways, so many frustrations, so many things are wrong with this world, Lord. And I pray that as we recognize what's wrong with this world, as we rightly point so many things out that we would turn more and more to you that our faith would be in king jesus that our confidence would be in his reign lord and we do ask that justice and righteousness would come we ask that you would bring about your kingdom in this world and in the meantime, Lord, I pray for each of us that we would live our lives 
with the conviction of things that we cannot see foremost in our minds. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.